So making use of the five aggregate presentation to transfer, to translate that into meaningful practice rather than just the metaphysical map. So the rupa form, vedana feeling, sanya, Perception, signs, significance, meanings, interpretations, assessments, the quick flash of got it that occurs, something reminds you of familiar, something is familiarized. Which the most significant is a self-image. Sankara, formations, activations, programs, conditioning factors. Seemingly quite an abstract term, but actually uh, anything but. Most, Most dynamic experience in the whole lot. That which is triggered by perceptions. Something means something, therefore we respond, react, uh, based upon how things are interpreted, we move forward. Well, we move forward fast, we move forward as effectively as we know how. We move forward in the ways that we've learnt to move forward. So Sankara, uh, not just the uh, activations, but the programs. So certain activations, certain ways of moving forward become familiarized and become habituated. So Sankara then is a result as well as a cause. Uh, Activations cause is causal, cause... It's caused by perceptions which themselves are caused by the search for meaning, for generic terms, for reference points, for orientation. I am this, she is that, this is this, and so on. Because it reminds me of uh, there's a certain comfort in that. One knows where one is. Mm. familiarization Mm. so based upon that and the search for familiarization the search for the the straightforward the easy the the familiar the knowable the predictable having known it this way in the past it will be this way in the future this is the search for meaning establishes perceptions Things get interpreted in accordance with the way I've, I've put my way I've put my benchmarks down. Hmm. Activations make sure that the present model fits in with the benchmark, or is assessed in accordance with the benchmark as not quite there, or could be different, or didn't quite make it, or you know something like that. 
So it's to keep perception and then Sankara acts in accordance with perception. Acts in accordance with it. It takes that as its guide uh, and the intentionality in the Sankara, direction of it is uh, to get right, to get it right, to achieve the desired, to get there as painlessly and as quickly as possible. One would sure be a fool to want it any other way. One wants it to be uncomfortable and slow. Or not go in accordance with our perceptions. So in this way we get habituated. And we search for habituations, for habitual programs and act and patterns. So we know what we're doing. We know where we are. And in many respects this kind of makes sense. Trouble is it doesn't bring the end of suffering around. <laughs> but it can help if we use it carefully. So you have to examine the quality of the intention or be familiar with the quality of intention. And also keep assessing the quality of the benchmarks the standards, the assessments, particularly of oneself. And it should be a telltale sign. The sense of self should be a, a marker. As soon as you get any register of that, you know something's going off here. <laughs> particularly if it's a familiar self-image. Well, be cautious. Yeah, because this is definitely danger territory. Yeah. Because really what is occurring when we call it myself is certain behaviours, actions, perceptions, sankharas, feelings. Um, Basically, you know, so when when we're looking at ourself, we're looking at the, the inheritance of the sankhara, inherited patterns, the familiar patterns, the familiar patterns, the inherited patterns, the inherited programs, the inherited perceptions, and what we recognize is this inheritance has been conditioned, brought into being, formulated, programmed. How can this be an innate entity? And this sounds just ideas, but actually it's very pertinent. Because we have to recognize those, uh, that, that inheritance, which has not been that bad, still has not arrived at the end of suffering or stress. It's not that bad, but it's not adequate for the task. Task is deconditioning, unconditioned, deprogrammed. Mm. Anatta, realization, not self. Mm. Which means beginning to recognize the patterns and programs, benchmarks, assessments, images, 
standards one assumes oneself to be or should be or could be or never will be or was once but now isn't anymore all those kinds of things have to be really seen and the voltage turned down even switched off Mm. Mm. unconditioned deconditioned taken out of out of commission and the graduated process in that is we begin to work on the ones most directly hurtful to ourselves and others ethical long-term ones that engrave patterns not just in our mind but also in our relationships with others and with the world and with substances and objects around us so this is not this is quite apparent and you know recognizing changing those the willingness to change those and whenever we come out of these um, even behavior patterns it's a little uncomfortable you feel a bit rocky disoriented because I always used to go for a drink I used to have a you know beer in the evening or something now what do I do with that space I found it easier just to tell a little slight lie because it it eased over the uncomfortable bits it may you know I've just told a friendly untruth (laughs) it made life a bit softer and if you say the direct truth it can be a bit mm, raw So these are uh, things we discomfort and renunciation, familiar patterns on retreat, many familiar patterns taken away, removed, switched off, or at least put out a commission, they can still be firing. A long day, early in the morning, getting up. Maybe that's something you're used to, maybe you're not. Awkward, body's not bright. Not there, you know, not crystal clear yet. Yeah, much better if I started at seven or so, when I feel more wakeful. Yeah, probably would. But, get used to it. <laughs> it's kind of like feeling this way is part of what we experience, so we start to practice with that. So we're widening the uh, range of, our, of, our, of what we are. Uh, what our chitta can stand with, can bear with, can accommodate, and begin to, what's it like when you're not in the ideal state? When you don't feel so well? What's it like when the system isn't just purring smoothly? How much of a self do you make out of it? How much of it shouldn't be this way do you make out of it? How much of it, if only I had it this way, it'd be better. How much do that do your sankara start formulating? Hmm? Yeah, so we just keep examining that. Hmm? And, um, you know, the benchmark is it's ethically okay, it's non-violent. And uh, one enters these things with a willingness to make one's jitta much more pliable, accommodating, accepting, less picky about situations and scenarios that 
we witness or are aware of. Less concerned about getting it right and efficiency and so on and clarity. Not that these things are wrong in themselves, but just we get sort of a bit too highly attuned or highly focused on reaching those benchmarks, which you can't always reach. So when things go wobbly, things don't work, things break down, things go inefficient, your health goes strange, then you're going wrong, suffering. Mm-hmm. How to be with the uncomfortable without suffering about it? The second rate, without thinking of the first rate that it could be or should be or was. And it's like this now. Mm-hmm. This is a jitter that's become flexible, pliable, malleable. Okay, this isn't the best, but this is what I got, so I'll work with this. <laughs> And that's the kind of, it's much more adaptable attitude. You're working on intentionality and also criteria. Meanings, which, you know, certainly, you know, clearer, sharper, better, more effective. Yeah, let's get the thumbs up in many respects, myself included. But then what's, what's the result of setting up those criteria? Mm. <clears throat> so in real life terms, and certainly you know, on many levels, living in monastic communities, they're not ideal. Yeah. People who are working with stuff, they're often, you know, what do you say, good intentions, but people have definitely got a few bits missing here and there. (laughs) And even if they're really, really sweet people, they don't know how to operate this or that, they're not good at accounts, they're not great engineers, they're not great computer people. So you get something that kind of shambles along, falling apart, bits and pieces, just keep, it just plods along. And uh, once you get used to it, it doesn't work. You get used to that. And, um, you know, deed, untrained, untraining oneself. <laughs> You know, I think, like most of us, I'm sure we were trained to be tidy, keep things in our rooms tidy and in drawers and nicely put away and tidied up. It makes the house much more easy to clean that way. I like it. I like the look of it. I like the visual appearance of it. But I've learned to be untidy. It's not comfortable in many ways. But now I know that I don't know where anything is. I don't suffer with it. Because when I think I know where it is, because it should be in that drawer, I get annoyed when it's not in that drawer. 
or I'd get annoyed when I had a system, but I'd forgotten what it was. So now I, I have very little system. And I, I feel you have to fumble around. And essentially what I do is just get into my body and feel, well, I used to use, I used that thing, when I used that thing, I was sitting in a chair. So I probably put it down somewhere with an arm's reach, under a drawer, under a cushion, behind a pillow somewhere, and fumble around, there it is. Because <laughs> I used the body and my life as the, as the basic orientation rather than the, the appearance of the room. You know, rather than a nice square room, tidy, you know, which is, I, know, I think it's wonderful. People can manage that. I think it's great. It's so beautiful. I like it visually. It's difficult living in a, in a shambles visually. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. I don't suffer with it. That's when I realize, okay, because I don't suffer so much because I don't expect to find everything. First go over, turn up one day or another, and oh, it's oh, I put it under there. How interesting. That's where the key went. So it's always a delightful surprise when one finds something. <laughs> and there's something kind of, uh, when you know that there's no system, you, think, oh, you don't have the expectation, and then the feeling of failure. There's no failure, because no, I took success out, I got rid of success, and it doesn't fail. And it works for me. And other people find it, of course, very <laughs> difficult to operate. So I generally have in my living quality, this is my zone, don't tidy it up. <laughs> you can tidy up that bit, leave my zone in this way, and I kind of periodically, it just goes through cycles. Socks appear on it and pens and cups, and then a cup goes away, and then a book appears with a bookmark in it. And then the socks move somewhere else, and a hat goes down there, and a, and it just goes, things are just moving across this surface as I'm using them. And then think, oh, I haven't used that for three or four days. I'll put it somewhere else. It just kind of, it's never tidy, but it's just mobile. It's a mobile surface. <laughs> and, it, you know, it kind of works. Even though I don't, I don't like it as, as visually. It's embarrassing sometimes because... But I think, well, yeah, but it's easier that way. And I don't get annoyed or exasperated. I'm not always fussing around, putting things in places, which are just abstract. They're not related to my body. They're related to a room. <laughs> and, a, and a visual thing, not related to how I'm living, which is much more, you know, random, uh, what hap- what's important right now, I'll put that down there, because it's not important. That means one has, because one doesn't tidy up, there's a lot more spare time. <laughs> it generally means I always kind of, if I'm going somewhere, I always set out plenty early, because I could realize I could get halfway along and found out I've forgotten my, my hat or something and turn around or got interested in a tree on the way. Hmm. Oh, look at that. So, you know, as so I don't move in straight lines, so it's not so fast. Um, and you realize that, you know, the unfortunate thing about 
the efficiency mindset is you don't, one doesn't factor in the random accidents that happen. You always think you've got it covered because you think you've covered all the options and there's one you haven't covered, which is the, the accidental, the random, the person turning up to say hello, they're slipping over on the, on the, on the sidewalk, uh, you know, the traffic jam. You haven't factored in the random. And you oh, So we tend to not take enough time, not leave enough loose time around things, open time, where you're not really doing anything, you're just musing, just letting the system turn over and check out what's happening. Uh, no particular aim, no particular drive forward, just checking out, open to the unknown, the uncertain, the unpredicted. So these are just things I haven't really considered as something I just it's happened over 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 time of working and practicing and just keep somehow something seems reviewing what are the perceptions, what are the behaviours, what are the patterns, what are the assumptions that get me into these tight states to get me into these frantic states, tight states, angry, annoyed states, angry with myself, angry with other people, angry with the machine not working, you know? angry with the traffic not going fast, angry with something else because it's not happening the way it should do, <laughs> angry with the weather, <laughs> you're shaking your fist at the snow or something, <laughs> it shouldn't be this way. What what is it that does that? You know, <laughs> you know, one sets up certain background benchmarks and assumptions that become you know, that we're we're then aiming to keep rolling out programs that fit in with those assumptions, and that automatic behaviour it works can work quite well in some circumstances, very well. Machine-like efficiency is, is um, exactly what it's there for, for work. But for realization, no, no, doesn't. For working intimately, sensitively with a living system, no doesn't work, messes it up. Organic systems have got their own behaviours. It's called chaos. It's not a pejorative term. There's a science of chaos, which is understanding the way that natural systems all self-organise, the way that rivers run, the way that plants produce leaves, the shaping of things, the way that clouds form, the way the weather patterns affect each other. And they're definitely working according to systems, but they're not linear systems. They call them chaos, but it's not berserk. It's just it's not traceable according to linear logic. And they're, these are the, they say this is actually like, you know, this is the majority of living, living stuff does this. 
It's like saying, you know, a certain percentage of elephants live in zoos. But the elephant, that, that's what we call the linear system, the elephant that's in the zoo. <laughs> but if you take that as the standard elephant and the behaviours of that as the standard elephant, you've got the wrong creature. The elephant that lives in the, in the wilderness is the true elephant with sensitive feet who can feel the trembles of the earth for miles away. Hmm? You can pick up a needle with a trunk, such sensitivity. They communicate to each other with, sub, sub, with sounds we can't hear. They're below the normal hearing range. They can mumble, mur- murmur at each other. They can feel through the f- soles of their feet. They can feel what's happening in the earth for a considerable distance away. It's an organic, it works perfectly in its environment. Rip it out of its environment, stick it in a concrete pen, a creature what's that? You know? So, cl- yeah, clearly some animals go berserk because they're, they're not plugged in to what their livingness, their livingness is embedded in their environment. You rip them out of the environment, it's like you're taking away their, their brains, their intelligence. It's wired in. Of course, we left the earth, most of us, years ago, genera- you know, a couple of generations ago, probably, maybe more. And yeah, we got efficient and built wonderful things and great stuff. And yet, for realization, deep realization and ease and free from anxiety and depression. No, more anxiety, more depression, more mental disease, more attention disorder, more people taking sedatives, more people can't sleep. Yeah more mental illness, more of this. Because what? You've taken the human intelligence out of, a syst- out of the environment with which it can, ma- it can manage, it's built for, and we put it in some sterile machine world. On all fronts, you know, communication machine, um, talking to machines, automatic systems that do things for you. And we go berserk in our quiet way. The chitter is just like, where the hell am I? <laughs> you know, I'm nowhere. Because it, it, it's, you know, it's nowhere. And so it starts to get anxious, disoriented, uncertain, unsteady. And it starts to form behaviours to hold on. Security behaviours gets rigid, gets fixated, forming security behaviours to feel comfortable with. Attention disorder, obsessive compulsive disorders to make something that is familiar that I can orient around you know this, this is happening isn't it because of the severe loss of orientation sure you, you know you've got a home you've got central heating you've got a fridge you've got a computer life's great the only thing you don't have is reality but never mind So why are these things increasing? Why is all these mental and psychological disturbances increasing? When when we're putting lots of intelligence into our lives, sophistication, extreme sophistication, admirable sophistication, impressive, wonderful, effective. Yeah, but it's it's not enough. I don't want to trash it. But I'm saying, you know, it's severely inadequate for the purpose of health 
sanity, calm, harmony, relationship, community, you know, living sensitivities are just mangled by this. So when we come to our, you know, our practice, it's really to look in this kind of broad sense and be really suspect and cautious about self-assessment, the benchmarks that we've established about us, our parent self. And, you know, if you can look at the last piece of your natural system is, is the body. And, of course, you know, the body takes the bill uh, for, for a lot of this stuff. The mind takes the bill, has to pay, you know, in terms of its frenzy, its constant preoccupation with the future, its constant, you know, fluttering and agitation and self-criticism. Yeah, that's a big toll we pay for having these criteria that we can't, or the organic sensitive systems that we can't reach, we can't, we can't maintain them. So we just hate ourselves for it and berate ourselves for not meeting these benchmarks. When, who establishes those benchmarks? What are they based on? <laughs> you know. And the body pays the bill pays that gets the toll too. What happens to the chitta happens to the body. So, you know, often through this screen of thoughts and uh, you get so much of a blizzard effect of thoughts that you, you just, what the hell, I don't know, just what's going on? Well, your body will tell you what's going on. Pretty simple terms. Stress, panic, fixation, collapse, hmm? Disorientation, disharmony, blockages. Uh, that's what's going on. However convincing the thoughts, however convincing the should-be's, however the convincing, I am this, I'm never this, I always was this, I need to be this, I will be this, how can I ever be that? However convincing those lines are, and they are convincing, the, bra- the thinking mind is a conviction system. Yeah, it's, it's the most smartest politician in town. And it's always giving us these lines and policies and campaigns that will make us supremely happy. <laughs> if it only wasn't for <laughs> that, <laughs> which is getting in my way. Realize <laughs> uh, uh, That which is getting in my way is probably my greatest friend because <laughs> it's saying stop. You, you got it wrong. <laughs> and where does this happen? <laughs> happens where the body and the mind meet. <laughs> so, so then it comes into rupa. You know, this sanya sankara thing is not abstract at all. Not just theoretical not just a mental idea, not just a sophisticated esoteric piece of Buddhist jargon. It's a direct gift of telling, telling us these qualities that you know, people rarely even focus on or know or assess. You know, the Buddha's picked these out. Look at this, you know. 
uh, yeah. because these will, will escalate into bodily effects, into psychological effects, into behavioral effects. We'll do things that later on we regret we were doing. We'll be doing things that cause us harm, yeah, causing other people harm, messing up our lives. And we'll be doing them with a feeling that this is what I've got to do. Everybody does this. I should do this. Or without even thinking, just reflexes, blind reflexes. That's, that's how it goes. Yeah, and your physicality will feel the effects and your uh, subtle body, your immaterial energies, your, your subtle energies will also feel the effects. Mm-hmm. And so when that's happening, you say, look, there's no point getting to this thing and saying, okay, let's, let's throw a system onto it because it will just go, no, not another one. <laughs> it's, it's got enough in it to, to still left to say, you know, uh, don't give me, I don't want any more of you. Uh, trying to organize me and make me work and behave, you know, we get the final rebellion, which of course you can't, it doesn't speak, but it's something, just won't, won't, won't work. And then we have to get down on our knees. Okay, so what about just coming back to that whole uh, interwoven system and generating the quality of goodwill. Acceptance, kindness. Mm. Picking up the sign from uh, the well-wishing, the courtesies the service, the generosity of other people. Picking up the sign from the fondness, the warm-heartedness, the tolerance, the, that's okay with me. Picking up those signs. Mm. And you just keep picking up and just feeding those in. This is your benchmark. This is a useful benchmark, not the self-image. So you start to establish benchmarks, if, you, if this is a useful term for you, based upon Dhamma. And so atten- intention has to be, because this is the one that keeps things running. Intention, chitasa, chitana, which of course is so crucial because most of our chitana is programmed to Get it done, get it working, get the good results, make sure you get it right. Don't get it wrong. Uh, Don't fumble, be sharp, clear, on time. That kind of thing. Most of it's programmed like that. So we've got to get to that program and and say, look, this is secondary, or maybe not even relevant at all. Most important is act with a mind of goodwill uh, towards oneself. And just give an act of faith that perhaps other people see you in a slightly positive manner. Because, <laughs> of course, we tend to, to the ill will syndrome colours the universe. So we assume other people will be hostile if we get it wrong. Other people will blame us and criticise if we get it what we so-called wrong. Yeah. And, and certainly from my own experience, you know, um, 
I'm recognizing so many times people are saying, well, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, I'm really sorry about what? I'm really sorry that, what? Oh, excuse me, I mean, I really did mess it up. What? I didn't even notice it. You know, where, where was... <laughs> uh, 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 I didn't see anything wrong. You know, where does that come from? Where does the perfectionism come from? Where does the got to get it right come from? Who's saying that? What is right? You know, you can pare it down. What is loaded behind those words right and wrong? What amount of pain is packed into those single syllables? So we say, rather than right and wrong, act with a mind of friendliness, assume friendliness, give other people the chance to be friendly, generous, compassionate, humorous, accepting. Maybe they'll be that way. People, the jitta of truth is naturally friendly, warm, fluent, capable of adapting. Mm. Cultivate that. You know, sure one will kind of blunder and make mistakes in it, but, you know, it doesn't matter too much. If you're keeping the basic behavioral stuff, you know, it's, it's so much more comfortable just to, you know, move in faith towards friendliness towards oneself and others. Mm. Ease. Mm. Establish that as the benchmark. benchmark. So intention is one that is the leading sankhara we might say so in sankhara intention is one um, established attention and how attention is 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 flexed is another and contact impression mm. impression is is where the, the perception arises impression is never neutral it's 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 a take on things. It's uh, an impression of things. Mm. So you're also watching or aware or sensitive to how things touch you, how things strike you, because you'll learn something in that. And generally, what you learn is the first impression is probably the one you want to pause around. That will be the automatic. That will be the already loaded. That would be the first one out the door, be your first impression. And you just just pause. <laughs> you may be right, chances are, because it's already loaded, it's automatic, it won't actually be that accurate. Yeah. It's not tailor-made, it's off the shelf. It's the easiest one to grab hold of. First impression. Impression of yourself, impression of others, impression, first thing. Just, just check, pause, wait. Be more sensitive. 
as the potential for ill will, suffering, struggle, greed. Has that already arisen in that first impression? You see something, the first impression is, wow, great. Mm. Pause. Be more sensitive. Feeling the citta-sankara, thoroughly sensitive to the citta-sankara. Anapanasati, thoroughly sensitive to the citta-sankara, breathing in, breathing out. Thoroughly sensitive to this triggering effect. Where, Where the sankara starts getting loaded where it's in the, the bullets in the barrel, <laughs> you know, fingers on the trigger, ready to shoot, pause, check. Where's that coming? Greed, aversion, fear, panic, automatic blind, Pause. What's helpful now? Mm. What's not helpful now? First thing is perhaps what's helpful now is just to pause. Sensitize. Feel your body. Relax. Breathing in, breathing out. We have the opportunity to do this in this wonderful situation. Remember, in, certainly in retreats that I'm leading, nothing happens immediately. Bell rings, you don't jump up. It's time to go, you don't go. You just acknowledge time to go. You acknowledge bell is wrong. You feel that spring, and pause. Breathe out. Did it mean... Go right, right, right now, as quick as possible. It just means it's time to move on when, you know, get yourself ready, get into your body, you know, look around, take a breath, and then we move on. And so it's, it's that, because we want to move on, we want to move with that awareness of the spring loaded, the triggered, the automatic particularly around things such as times, bells, and systems. So my request and my permission is, uh, you know, please, this is my request, don't be so efficient. Um, (laughs) It frightens me. (laughs) Uh, Just kind of, I like to feel there's a sense of ease and, and comfort in, in people's operating. I don't mind late waiting. I don't mind these things. I don't mind people being a bit late. I don't mind things not turning up on time. I don't believe in time. I mean, I use it for convenience, but I don't really take it that seriously. That, mm, it's too much suffering in it. If it worked, it would be great, but it doesn't. A bad move with a mind of goodwill. You know, in meditation, you know, certainly we can look for the system. 
uh, fire in the system. Set it all up. Mm, maybe, maybe. I don't know about that. I think more useful personally is just to to uh, get the jitter to be more sensitive and intelligent. <laughs> to operate intentions and attention uh, in accordance with life, in accordance with bodily life, with embodied life, in accordance with what's comfortable for all of us, what's comfortable for you and me when we sit together, what feels about right. Mm-hmm. Rather than having prescribed, just use our intelligence, our emotional intelligence, our sensitivities, as it feels about right. Mm-hmm. So, apply attention to your own, what you call yourself, your embodiment. When is that helpful? What kind of attention is helpful? You've used your jitter to find out. If you're stressing, getting imbalanced, feeling kind of explosive energies or feeling stagnant, you've got to recognize your intention and attention are part of that. They are the things that we can do something about. We cannot immediately change our health or our energy, but we could do something about our attention and intention. That, that's the point of, sort of mental sankara. You could you know, tweak and adjust, and they will have effects in terms of suffering, which is what we're dealing with. Yeah. So I often you know, come in with no particular intention, just sit there and then feel what seems about right to a way to attend. I maybe want to attend to something really nice and refined, but no, that isn't happening yet. Mind isn't ready for that. So I just intend this broad, be well, be peaceful, feel your whole form, what, what's needed. So this is this continual dialogue of investigation, exploration, dialoguing, what's helpful, what's needed. Hmm. With attention, this be uh, my recommendation, not statement, it's a recommendation, reflect yourself, is that we do tend to prioritize clear, sharp intention, uh, attention. And attention on something that operates according to the visual model. And when you want to focus on something visually, you generally you narrow your gaze to a single point. And you get it nice and clear. And you can adjust the thing to get it nice and clear. That's visual attention. Mm-hmm. So it tends to narrow to get more precision around things. You feel the narrowing and that? That's what visual attention does. Now we can, Because that's the one we'll be using perhaps most often in our daily lives. Focus on the road, on the reading, on the screen. You know, and you can always feel your forehead knot. Tighten up your eyes, screw. Tighten up get that hmm. and so that that becomes the default and I'm suggesting that uh, for focusing feeling your body that might work but perhaps there's another kind of attention attention that bodies do 
Now, if you notice what you, where your fingers operate, they're extremely sensitive. You know, you can just hover above a surface and feel, even before you touch the surface, you get a feeling for how close you are to it, without even touching it. And particularly if you're walking, moving towards another living energy, because the energy starts to vibrate across the gap. That's pretty sensitive. And if you lighter touch, and actually what happens with that is there's no none of that tightening, you know, narrowing. Actually what happens is a widening. You know, I touch something with the fingers lightly. I can feel the effect in my arm. And I can feel the, the nervous tingle of that, the flush. My body orients to that, sensing, oh, this is touching me. So a lighter touch. And, you know, so the act of being clear about something in the body's terms is not a narrow focus, but it's a sensitivity. Mm, sensitivity. Quite delicate. Now, if I have a program in my mind saying I've got to make something happen with that or get to get it right, that will, that will tend to send an impulse into my body which will cause it to tighten up. If I'm just saying, well, let's just feel how this is. Can you feel it more deeply? How it is. And maybe I need to my my focus system has to step back. I, like, you know, even with the visual things, some things it's better you to hold them at arm's length to see them, you have them pressed up against your eyes. But do you notice when you ever get something happening in your body, you go right up to it and what's happening in here? And you know what, ha- what happens with that? Have you noticed that, how it kind of starts to get tense and explode? <laughs> it doesn't like that. But if you back off, back off, you can still back off back so you get the whole form, even the space around you, just back off till you get to the place where now I can just touch this thing and be touched by it in a sensitive way that's not trying to understand it or change it at all. The motivation is, in those terms has dropped. All I want to do is find a peaceful relationship and you know, like there's two of us in this, so the body has to tell me. And it will tell me by relaxing a little, by feeling more comfortable. Hmm? Now, if that's a hypothesis, so if we check that out, and if you look in the Dhanapanasati Sutta, lo and behold, Sapakaya Pati Sangwedi. Sapa, all, kaya, body, pati, thoroughly, sung, fully, vedi, feeling. <laughs> thoroughly sensitive to the entirety of the body. Well, you know. Soothing, calming the bodily's energies. Thoroughly sensitive to the entire body. Calming, soothing, pasambayang, 
Pasadi, tranquilizing, soothing, that gentle inclination of intention. That's an intention, isn't it? Touch it lightly, soothe it. That's an intention, that's jitana, that's sankara. So in those two, we flexed our attention. We've cultivated an intention. And maybe we've begun to challenge the benchmarks we may have assumed meditation is. One-pointed. Concentration. Well, if I look down those lists, I don't see those factors in there. I don't see word I don't see the word one pointed in or any of that set of instructions on mindfulness of breathing. I do see thoroughly sensitive to Pitti Pati Sangwedi, thoroughly sensitive to, sensitive to, feeling fully the quality of rapture, a little tingle that happens when one's hitting the right spot and the pressure is released. Sukha Pati Sangwedi, thoroughly sensitive to ease, comfort. Chitta Sankara Pati Sangwedi, thoroughly sensitive to the heart activations, just how triggerable, how acute this jitta is, how frightened it is, how desperate it is, how thoroughly it responds to care, how sensitive that is. So we're not using jitta like it's a ram to push through anything. So these are the terms that are used. Chitta pati sangwedi, thoroughly sensitive to chitta. Abhi pamodayang, chittang, thoroughly gladdening, chitta. Samadahang, steadying, calming, chitta. Yeah. So now, this samadha, now we've started to get samadhi in there as a concept. No one-pointedness yet. No one-pointedness appears. But what's occurred is through the process of sensitizing, getting the right relationship, cultivating the right focus of attention through the right system where the intentionality can be directly felt, not just theorized, what does it actually take to be friendly to something that's not happy? <laughs> what does it take to be friendly to something that's cantankerous and ornery? Hmm? What does it take? Well, learn it. <laughs> because this is what you're going to have to deal with. Hmm? You're dealing with a caged animal. Thoroughly sensitive and then re- respectful to that. When that is there... Jitta will, oh, will begin to cast off its desperation, its franticness, its restrictions, its tensions, and then you, you'll be aware and then gladdening, congratulating, satisfying, uplifting, pleasing. Avi pamodayam, pamodja, the quality of gladness. A be thoroughly or up higher gladness. I mean, what do you want to do with these words? But that's, that's those are what the roots are saying. 
then from that gladdened state, you just steady it. Don't get excited, just stay there. Then samadhi comes from happiness, from the happiness that comes from relationship, from the happiness that comes from gladdened intentions. Happiness that comes with dealing respectfully with a living being. A being we may have lost touch with. A being we may never have really uh, forgotten or dismissed. Uh, This is then where samadhi is the truth in this respect. It's, it's the unification where this harmony arises and the jitta settles. It's finally settled. And vimochayang, discarding, liberating, freeing the traces, the scars, the defunct programs, the self-images, just casting that off. Liberating the chitta from this, these saddles and reins and harnesses and uh, cages and tracks that we run it down. The beauty of that. And this is chitta visuti, chitta vimuti. Chitta is pure. Chitta is released from the bondages that. Uh, Conditions, sankharas based upon ignorance will formulate. Well, of course, this is a very profound and thorough, um, and sometimes, as many of the Buddha's teachings, it starts off sort of sit upright, well, I can do that, you know, and then, hey, where did that go? <laughs> it suddenly moves on quite a rate. Well, yeah, 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 it does. It was the Buddha's kind of looking at, well, you know, this is what, like, you might never see me again <laughs> if in those times. You know, he's coming through one time. I'll give you the whole scoop and you can spend a lifetime working with that because, you know, you might, I might be dead tomorrow. So I'll just give you the full, full thing and you get the feeling for it. Pick it up. Yeah. And, yeah. and then Jitta is then ripe, ready. Then we can cultivate the final liberations of insight. Mm. But this can be as humble as just, uh, you know, take, you know, just taking out the, the one's benchmarks, one's um, uh, expectations and, and, and measurements, which become cruel judgments, don't they, of oneself and others. How cruel they can be. How merciless they can be. You know, getting to own up to that. And yeah, it's strange when you lose your tracks. Those benchmarks are familiar. It's strange. Be strange. Be a stranger to yourself. Loosen up. And, uh, you know, you're, you're really, your jitter's going to, it's confused at first, but that's part of the relearning. It's going to, it's going to learn. It can learn. It does learn. It's a living system. It learned this rubbishy stuff. Now it can learn truth. Yeah. And so this is the change called the lineage change from conventional systems to Dhamma. The change that's for our welfare and happiness.
So, yeah, it definitely has effects. You feel that what your body is doing, you've got to, what's the attention that most enables you to to be sensitive and friendly with that, comfortable with that, staying present with that, not getting triggered and pressurized with that. And that's going to take you in through this process in a way that you've always got to feel your way. But that's what makes it authentic. Feel your way. Hey, Wong. Well.